You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. I really love family trips. Uh, I love going on trips, and I love people watching. I love observing things, and I think that it probably drives my family nuts, but I'm the guy who says, look at that! Or look at that! And I point it out. And sometimes they, it's met with great excitement, and other times it's met with, oh yeah, okay. Uh, but uh, whenever I've showed my family something big, we had a huge trip this summer, and we took the girls to Paris, and we couldn't wait for them to see the Eiffel Tower. And it's kind of funny, because it's such a big landmark, but you only can be in certain parts of the city to actually see it in its totality. So you can kind of plan it so that the kids can't see it until you round a corner. And I was just watching their faces and we rounded the corner and they just were in awe. It it met all of their expectations of what it would be like, of its immensity and, and it's just, it's amazing. Now, what if one of my kids said, yeah, but it's all going to burn one day. It's just a bunch of metal. Well, that's what Jesus says. Right? The disciples are walking along and they look over the temple, which is the epicenter not only of religious life in Israel, uh, but also a wonder of the ancient world. Even the Romans said that it's so beautiful and uh, when they destroyed it in 70 AD, there was a great reluctance because it was such a magnificent building. And one of Jesus' disciples says, look what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus says, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Is Jesus just being a humbug? Is he the last guy that you want on your family trip? Is he the fun sponge that just sort of soaks up all the fun in the room, never to give it back? Well, no. Because we see what kind of conversation is being had after Jesus says this, when James, Andrew, Peter, and John ask Jesus, tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus is not downplaying the beauty or magnificence of the temple. But he wants to remind his disciples that their eyes should not be on earthly beauty, but should be cast upon heaven. That's where their eyes should be looking. He doesn't despise the beauty of the temple, but he will not have it supplant the attention of his people who should be looking to him. And Jesus is not just talking about the temple, but everything in this world, including the Eiffel Tower, including the Rocky Mountains, anything that's ever taken our breath away in this world, one day will be no more. Jesus is not saying they're not beautiful. He's not saying despise them. But he is saying, hold loosely to the things of this world but hold fast to Jesus. And Peter, James, John, and Andrew get it. They understand what Jesus is getting at. And so they shift the conversation, what are the signs that this is going to be happening? They have the right perspective. They want to know how and when is the world going to end? How do we know that you'll be coming back? 
So Jesus tells them, there are going to be people who are going to try to lead you astray, even people who come in my name. And you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. But don't be alarmed. This all has to take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now the description that Jesus gives, is that singular to the world of the disciples? Sounds like our world too, doesn't it? Even in the age of the internet... We hear of wars and even rumors of wars. We're not exactly sure what's going on in conflict, but it's happening. Jesus is saying that we live in the end times. Jesus has come once. This is why we're the church of the advent. Don't know if you know this. The first advent of Jesus being born of the Virgin Mary. And then the final advent, the second advent of his coming again in glory to judge the world. So between those two advents, we live in the end times. Now beware the person who thinks that they know how and when Jesus is coming back. Jesus warns against this. You know not the hour nor the day when I return. I'm going to come like a thief in the night. No one knows, and yet a lot of books have been printed, and maybe you've had conversations with people who say, I know when Jesus is coming back. Inevitably, I read online of some group of people who believe that Jesus is coming back, and so they gather in some remote area for his return, and guess what? Jesus didn't get their memo. He didn't come back. So beware of the person who thinks that Jesus... They know when Jesus is returning, for even Jesus himself says here, what? In verse 7, but the end is not yet. You won't know it's the end until it's the end. But Jesus is also saying to beware of the person who is not looking for the coming of Christ. If your eyes aren't set on his heavenly kingdom if we're holding too tightly to the things of this world, if we're not anxiously longing for his return. I told Lauren the other day, I said, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready for Jesus to come back. I'm ready to see him. I'm ready to be delivered from this world. And she said, but what about the girls? Don't you want to see them grow up? Don't you want to see them get married? And I said, no, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Hey, let's make this happen. But we ought to be eagerly looking for the return of Jesus. He tells us this in Matthew 25 with the parable of the foolish virgins, where he says, you don't know when I'm coming, but you should be ready. Be ready for my return. But what does it look like to live in the end times? Jesus says, be on your guard. You're going to be delivered over to councils, beaten in synagogues, stand before governors and kings for my, names, for my sake. You'll bear witness before them, and the gospel will be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, don't be anxious about what you are to say, for what you will say will be given to you by the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. That's what it's going to look like. 
That's what the end times look like. Jesus goes on to say, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. This is a different experience for those of us who grew up as Christians in the South. Because at a cocktail party, someone will ask you where you go to church in the same breath that they'll ask, what do you do for a living? And when you've said, I'm a Christian or I go to this church, I seriously doubt anyone has tried to kill you or to beat you or even to malign you. And yet I've, just a point of personal confession, I realized as I was dwelling on this passage is that I've bought into a lie that many American Christians buy into. And that is that if you're a Christian, you shouldn't have to suffer. Or more specifically, if you're a Christian, God doesn't want you to suffer or would never allow you to suffer. And yet Jesus says one of the promises that you'll see lived out in your life as a believer is that you're going to be persecuted. No matter what degree of persecution that is, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then that persecution is going to be real. But it's living out the gospel message of Jesus Christ that brings persecution. I've run into people from time to time that have said, you know, I'm being persecuted because of my Christian faith. And I've thought, no, you're not. You're a knucklehead. That's why you're being persecuted. I had a lady in my congregation in Beaufort who was always complaining about her son and how her son hated her because she was a believer. And one day she called me up on the phone and she said, I don't know what to do with my son anymore. He's aimless. He's lazy. He doesn't know what love is. He can't receive love. He can't give love. He's going nowhere in life. And our relationship is almost completely dead. Would you talk with him? I said, sure, I'd be happy to talk with him. She said, wait a minute, he's right here. And she handed the phone (laughs) over to the guy. And I said, I'm sorry. (laughs) Look. Uh, I'd love to talk with you. Uh, But you see, a whole different dynamic was created in that moment. Uh, The the angst that he had against his mother probably had very little to do with her Christian faith and had everything to do with the way that she was misusing her faith to evangelize her son. I love the way that J.C. Ryle puts this. The late 19th century bishop of Liverpool, he wrote, Resolve that by the grace of God, you will make Christianity beautiful in the eyes of the world. That by the grace of God, you will make Christianity beautiful in the eyes of the world. Now to some people, when we live out the gospel, and there's not just living out the gospel, but speaking the gospel. Jesus says here, it's not just you living out the gospel, but you actually have to speak it as well. And you're going to be standing in front of people of authority and people of influence, and you need you're going to give an answer to the hope that you have within you, but know that the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. And persecution is going to come as a result of that. Because to some people whose eyes of their hearts are opened, the gospel is the aroma of Christ. It's the smell of their salvation. They're overjoyed to hear it. They turn in faith to Jesus. But for others, it's the stench of death. They're repulsed by the gospel. Now it's true that each and every single one of us who put our faith in Christ will be persecuted 
for believing in Jesus, our persecution that we experience here in the States is nothing compared to the experience of persecution elsewhere. Where we have no problem telling others where we go to church here, such an answer could lead to someone else's death, whether that be in northern Nigeria or in the Middle East. That's real persecution. That's the persecution that Jesus is talking about here. And yet all of us will experience persecution. I wonder though if Jesus too isn't speaking to us in Birmingham today when he says brother will deliver brother over to death. That he's not just talking about the familial relationships that we have with one another, but also the relationships that we have with other people who claim the faith of Christ. Because growing up in such a Christianized area, I'll be honest with you, most of the persecution and most of the hurt that I've experienced in my own life has not come at the hand of unbelievers. But people who claim Christ as their Savior. Somebody once said that the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. And the way that we treat one another in the church does not make Christianity beautiful in the eyes of the world. But we fail to live out the gospel loving others as Jesus loves us, laying our lives down for others as Jesus laid his life down for us. And Jesus says, but to the one who endures to the end will be saved. So as Jesus saying, if you blow it, if you crumble under the persecution, if you don't love one another as you ought to love them, you don't make it. Is that what he's saying? If that's true, let's see who doesn't make it. Abraham, Noah, David, Solomon, Peter, you and me. It's not what Jesus is saying. The endurance that he speaks of is the call to put our trust in him and him alone. Paul sums this up in Colossians chapter 3 in a beautiful way, really uh, uh, recasting what Jesus has said here. When he says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you want to endure, hide your life in Christ. Die to yourself, and he does that work. It's the trust that endures, because Jesus endures. It's not about us getting it right. It's not about peak performance. It really is about endurance. When you fall down in the race, endurance is getting back up. Or better yet, It's Jesus picking you back up and saying, trust in me. Allow me to carry you. I will get you across the finish line. We are living in the end times, the last days, when Jesus comes back. I don't know. You don't know. But he's coming. 
And when he comes, all things will be set to rights and will rejoice to behold him on his throne in his kingdom that will have no end. In the meantime, let us be ready to hold loosely to the things of this world, but to hold fast to Christ and to put our trust in him. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.